to the latest episode of the Startup Podcast. It's episode number something or other. 60... Something or other? 60-something, yes. Yes. Hello. Episode 60Q. It's episode 60Q. We are back. We're in the the Baines Cave. We are. I I am Rolf Baines. Yes, I am Andrew. And uh, we're back to talk to you about various exciting uh, pop cultural concerns amongst the crowd who like this kind of thing. Yes, but before we do that, we're going to go in for a blatant bit of shilling and whoring. Really? Yes, yes we are. Go for it then, Yes, Tom. I speak, of course, of ScotCon. Really? What's that? ScotCon is the annual gathering of Scottish, TMUK, and anyone else who's welcome, uh, Transformers enthusiasts, as we've been called by a skinny chap in a Manchester <laughs> train station. It's true, yes. Uh, I am enthusiastic about Transformers. And other things. And so like-minded people will be gathering on the last weekend in March in Glasgow. Indeed. Formerly a city of culture. Currently a city of net culture. I, I don't know. I haven't lived there for yeah. five years now. They have improved. They have actual culture now. Well, they will do. We turn up. It's true. So we will be in Glasgow, predominantly based at Waxio Corners, which is just round the corner from Glasgow Queen Street, near Forbidden Planet. And I should mention, of course, in case anyone isn't aware, it's a pub. Yes, it's one that looks a lot like Paul McGann's TARDIS. Yes, it's, it was where some of the initial uh, gatherings of our, our crew were, yeah. north of the border. Indeed. So, so I'm going to bring a brief show to then by clacking these together. Well, we need to tell them all the other... No, but I want to clack them together. Okay. We can Okay, I'm really clack something. I'm really excited about clacking something together. But, uh, uh, <laughs> can I do it? Yes, you, you can. There you go. Okay, what I'm clacking together is you may recall the uh, Kinder Nightmare... Uh, Marvel uh, toys from a previous podcast. Jugger Nightmare Fuel. Yeah, so we've got Loki and we've got uh, Spider Man. So a bit like one of those um, booking cassettes that we love. Yeah. You know, when you hear the sound, turn the page. Yeah. So instead, when you hear this sound, well, that's, they're a bit close to the speaker. It's very exciting. When you hear this sound, it means move on to another topic. Oh, I've got a slight bit of shame on it. I know, I'm just saying, I'm introducing it now so the listeners won't be concerned. Alright, that's fine. Okay. Um, so if you talk to Scott, go, well, what are you going to get? Well, couple of pints because we'll be in a pub uh, there will be some fabulous prizes to be won there will be slightly fabulous prizes uh, there's also uh, several unfabulous prizes to be won as a tradition including the uh, the Gav Spence traditional Pat Lee graphic novel of choice but we're hoping for a third year where he wins it but that would be uh, <laughs> the Fantastic Four X-Men crossover X-Men X-Men crossover yeah yes wow. that's terrible I look forward to him winning it again Oh, does that mean that uh, the Dreamwave uh, Generation 1 Transformers One and Peace graphic novel will also be in play? It could potentially be if I can find it from wherever I put it. Well, that has moved back and forth between various bags. <laughs> yes, uh, you'll also be in line to win. If you've seen my Twitter feed, uh, some of the uh, sketch variant covers of Regeneration 1 with Creo based images on that. What a fantastic title have you given these covers, uh, Andy? Cree Generation 1. It's oh, amazing. That's a winner. It's amazing. As I can say this... Um, Masterpiece Generation 2 Sideswipe is looking at us and he looks very angry at that piece of humour. In all fairness, doesn't matter what we say, he's going to look angry. He it's based on Derek Yarnaker's head. He might look happy at some point, you never know. Not when we're looking at him. He's got two giant guns and a sword. Yes. Uh, you'll also, anyone that's turned up will also get a free copy of the print version of my, the first half of my adaption of Simon Furman's last Marvel UK Transformers work, Another Time and Place, with a very shiny cover. Very shiny. So I think that's our... Can I clack them together then? Uh, so, 29th of March. Uh, yes. Hit us up if you want to know on my Twitter feed or the TMUK boards or Full Metal Hero or Facebook if you're a friend and I'm still looking at it. Don't hit me up on Twitter because I'm on a private account, so you can't. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I'm the friendly one, so you can hit me up and I can let you know. He's an ignorant. Uh, I am. Can I clack up together now? Clack away. There we go. Listen, now, this is audio audio gold. Look at this. We're going to win awards for this. We're going to win awards like the, the BBC Sony Award, the Big Finish got for Dark Eyes. Yeah. They're probably an epic, but this is better. Right, it actually ties into previous podcast. Yeah. But talking of shit, which is what you might think that that was all about, and you wouldn't be far wrong. We have some special shit now. Now, before we tell you what the special shit is, um, Andy acquired a copy of this, and it cost him seven pounds ninety-nine. I acquired a copy for nothing. No, I did not illegally acquire it. I used the excellent, excellent Edinburgh library system where three copies of this mighty tome resided. Now, you might be surprised to find that libraries had this in because a lot of people think libraries are fusty, old, crap, full of grannies with their knickers around their, their, their ankles and pissing themselves everywhere and just, just near the bells in the corners and books from 1950 and just generally the smell of urine. People think libraries are like that, but actually... Your modern library often gets in brand new books as well, such as this book, which was published only two months ago. And, okay, who thinks libraries are reeking of piss, other than you? Some people, up until you went to a library in Edinburgh. Lots of people think libraries are reeking of piss. No, they, they do. do. They do. People have this image that libraries are just old, fishy places. Could that, just be the people, could that just be the people you talk to? Yeah, because people think, oh, I'm not going to go to a library because it's old and fisty and sex offended, you know, and fill a unite. But they get new books in as well. So that meant that this particular talk, which we've yet to reveal to you, Ralph, Ralph got it. He read it. He done it. It cost him nothing. Except his time. It didn't take a lot of time, but it did take some time. <laughs> now, before we, we, we tell you the specifics of this, as you may have noticed, we are indeed Transformers enthusiasts. It's true. Now, for those of us uh, who grew up in Transformers and got used to things like the annuals, we got used to reading Transformers in prose form. By the likes of uh, Jamie Delano, James Hill, The Furminator, Ian Rimmer, yep. uh, Richard Starkings under an assumed name. Indeed, sometimes a lot of features in the comics, such yep. as Cybertron in the Middle Years. Yep. What we text pieces like that. War. Also, as you may have heard the phrase Team UK mentioned there, yes. the Transmasters UK fan club. Uh, some of us came up uh, through that, and we got used to reading lots of uh, Transformers prose written by fans, one of which was James Roberts, you may have heard of him. And, um, no, no, do, do tell. Do, I believe I believe he writes the yeah Transformers comic. They got comics again. D- they do, they do. Some of them are indeed more than meets the eye. So, hang on, I'll clack them together. Hang on, that deserves it. Anyway, um, so yes, and uh, some of us have written dreams of it ourselves. Yes, to <laughs> but at least which both halves of this podcast. But at least we didn't charge you seven ninety nine for it. So generally, we are actually quite enthusiastic about Transformers and Pros, also because, and we mentioned this before, and we'll mention it again. We were there back in the day at the time when James Roberts's unofficial Transformers novel Eugenesis came out, which is still the gold standard with which all Transformers Pros. Must be measured right. again. This proves two things because it proves oh, that Transformers and Pros can work at novel length. It also proves that uh, licensed tie in fiction, a much maligned uh, subgenre of uh, fiction today, can also itself be of, of, of value. And ambitious. We've, we've mentioned it before talking about uh, the works of Lawrence Miles and Doctor yeah, Who. And, and can be very high quality. Now, what happened uh, in intervening years is that there's not a, it's not like uh, Star Wars or Star Trek or Doctor Who, other franchises where there's been a big steady stream of tie-in novels, yes. month in, month out, basically. With Transformers, which we're talking about here, 
there have been novels, but they've been very stop-start, very sporadic. We've had, uh, there was the anthology of Transformers Legends. From iBooks, the late yes, iBooks. They yes. also published uh, three books, Annihilation, Fusion, and Hard. Oh, oh, the first one. Uh, which were uh, based on the Dreamwave comics continuity of the time. And those novels came out in fairly rapid succession. Then there was a void for many years until the live-action movie started up. Yes. There have been adaptations of the three films. Also, The Veiled Threat by Alan Dean Foster. And Ghost of Yesterday. Ghost of Yesterday. As also well. by Alan Dean Foster. Foster. Not that great, to be honest. I didn't mind Ghost of Yesterday. Readable, but very middling, shall we say. Competent, but middling. Uh, what has happened in the last few years, though, is we now seem to basically be getting a novel roughly the kind of year to 18 months. Hasbro have uh, brought in, or attempted to bring in, uh, with varying degrees of success and abandonment, uh, an aligned continuity. Because Transformers has several different distinct identities, which is one of the things that actually works, I think, <coughs> in, the, in Transformers' favour in that. There's, it's open to very many different interpretations that the likes of a Star Trek you have a great deal of difficulty getting into. Yes, which can be argued as a positive or a negative. For yeah. instance, one of the things I like about Star Trek, one of the things that keeps coming back to, uh, particularly in the, some of the better novels, is it's all one big storyline. It's one big universe that continues, so on. So far, we had a Star Trek novel published in 2014, or watch an episode made in 1987, or a film made in 1979. It's all the one big universe, and I find that quite interesting. I actually have no interest at all in new versions of Star Trek. I don't see the point, because the universe is such where it exists in different timelines, so if you want to do a new take, just do it a different century. Things like Transformers, it's different, of course, because of the nature of it being a toy line, which is rebooted every few years. It means you've got various versions, which we talked about at length. Yeah. So the line continuity is uh, ambitious and equally misguided to, tend uh, to bring uh, uh, many uh, yeah, it's also together. It's also been told in a very unique uh, medium, because until um, a couple of years ago when the novel started to come out and so on, it appeared to be a, a version of Transformers which was told uniquely through convention panels. And uh, <laughs> brand presentations to licensors. Uh, yes, yes. The, the, there, was a, there was a long time there where you would hear about things like Death 13, and the, the, all these new continuities, but you couldn't go and watch a TV show or buy a comic or read a book or play a game. What's happened, though, is that the last few years was an attempt to start off, and it began with a, a three-pronged attack, if you like. There was the War for Cybertron video game, the Transformers Prime uh, cartoon, and there was a novel by Alex Irvin called... Exodus. Exodus. They didn't fit. No. Well, you can make them fit if you go to TF Wiki and squint a lot. Yes, uh, God bless you, brave wikiers. Yes. Uh, and if that's what you want to do, that's absolutely fine. So, so the first, first two novels were about Alex Irvin and sort of tied in to the video games at the time. But also, they don't really tie in because they contradict the video games. But never mind that. As actual pieces of books themselves, they were, of course, perfect. Uh, yes, I think we've spoken previously. I think we mentioned one, yeah. Exodus. Exodus. Yeah. And then there was Exiles, which was the follow-up, which was so bad... That I tried to read Andy's copy, gave up, went to the pub, and done thermal while waiting for them to finish work or something. I had four pints, I still couldn't get more than halfway. Now, generally, having read a lot of Italian fiction in my time, I can power through Shite. pretty much most things. It was the storylines were banal, they were done, which was a shame because I wanted to actually like them. And Alex Irvin himself, when he did his um, few puff piece interviews on a few Transformers website, did come across as genuinely enthusiastic and 
that he actually gave a toss. Didn't get the feeling he was into it a wee bit more than just this is my job for, for the week because he's done a lot of times. He did one for Iron Man and for this sort of thing. So, bit of a shame. Nothing against Mr. Irvin, but I thought his books were poor. So, Hope Reigned Again, when a new one came out called Retribution. Now, the reason why Hope Reigned Again is I first came across the blurb because uh, really, generally, the novels don't get talked about much in Transformers websites. I don't know if that's because people aren't interested in novels or people read them and just have anything to say. Um, but generally, I only came across the blurb by accident. I was looking for something else on Amazon. And the reason why I got excited about this one is it sounded like it would be a prequel to Symbol. Here's the blurb itself. For decades, Transformers fans across the globe have marvelled at the mighty clashes of Megatron and Optimus Prime and speculated about their arrival on planet Earth. Strictly speaking, no, they haven't, because we watched that. However... Now in Transformers Retribution, the prequel to the Transformers animated series, the epic odyssey of these two great warriors is finally revealed as Autobots and Decepticons battle one another and the most diabolical foe they the, sorry, the most diabolic foe they've ever encountered. So yeah, it's like a simple prequel. This might be alright. Yeah, it also talks about how it will uh, um, lead to how the catapults the Autobots and Decepticons to Earth. Yeah. And so because it says the Transformers animated series and not Transformers Prime also, because it's coming in 2014, the 30th anniversary of Transformers, yeah, for which various things are planned. Also, Transformers Prime as a series winding up with Beast Hunters and the Predacons Rising yeah. Mini. Yes, indeed, the, the publication date for this, which was, uh, it was January 2014, yep. uh, was after it finished its run. So, I thought what we were going to get was, because also because of the change of authors, it's now, who's writing that one? David J. Williams and Mark S. Williams. So, no relations. Yeah. So, I thought, oh, great, we're going to get, because here's the thing. I've said this before, Sunball is not a show I grew up with, Sunball Transformers I don't think is a good show, but I would say there's about 20 odd episodes of it that I really, really enjoy in company with beer, because they, they, they have a certain thing to it. Also, while Sunball itself as a whole is perhaps not 100% my definitive version of Transformers, I've often thought that because of the huge fan base there still is for the for Transformers fans, I have no problem at all with doing a, a Sunbow Pico. I think you could do quite fun Sunbow because it should be quite mental because if you go back uh, and look at the old Sunbow cartoon, whether you're a fan or not, it's big mad bastard ideas every episode. So you could get something quite wacky. I mean, to be honest, the upcoming uh, comic uh, Transformers vs. G.I. Joe, at least gone by the Zero issue, the previews we've seen for the free comic with the edition, looks kind of in the spirit Slightly of the types of mad ideas you got in Sunbow. And the of course, course Larry Hammer's G.I. Joe as well, Larry which I was not without yeah. the fantastic titles. So I was quite interested to read this, and uh, I used the library system and I found a copy. I'd bought my copy, I'd read several pages of it and then stopped. It wasn't awful, it was just dull. Now, no. this is a sentence I think you're going to hear from us quite a lot. Here's the, here's the thing. I do recall Alex Irvin in an interview um, saying that he was working on another Transformers novel. And uh, this novel follows directly on from his two, and particularly the first third of the book, uh, which deals with the Starseekers and Thundertron, who are characters from his second book. I str- And also, judging by how the pro style shifts a little bit, not massively, but a little bit thereafter, I suspect this is actually a storyline that was uh, that was um, pre-planned and it's been handed off to these authors or perhaps Mr. Irvin had done a draft and did some work and for whatever reason moved on because it does read initially the first part of it as a holdover from his plot before it kind of goes off to its own thing yeah. just to explain basically there's a big fight with the Starseeker characters who are the third faction 
and they found Decepticons, they get in a fight with the Autobots, and then you never see these characters ever again. And then the main plot of the book starts, which is they go to a world called the Autobots go to a world called Aquatron, because the Matrix uh, is not quite working properly in Optimus Prime's chest, and he feels uh, they kind of need to go there, and that's when the novel starts properly. So I think that's when you actually see the two Williams um, gentlemen actually start their storyline. And just Aquatron is in effect a colony world of Quintesson. Yes, and what it does is it kind of introduces the Quintessons for this version of Transformers. Yes, uh, and well, to be perfectly honest, we could go on at length about sort of the stuff. I'm not going to because if you want to read it, you can read it. But it's there's too much rehashing of and little cute nods to oh look Transformers in the movie. Can we have a book where someone doesn't feel the need to have a little riff or a homage to? It? I love the movie. I cannot. I could objectively step back and point out everything that's wrong with it, of which there is multiple things. However, I love that fucking movie. Why well, throw away your life so recklessly, Andy? <laughs> that's a question you should ask yourself, Ben. Indeed. Uh, but the here's, book. The, well, here's the thing about retribution that annoyed me. Right. For generally, generally, the actual basic storyline and the the prose is the least worst officially published Transformers novel. It, as in, it's not quite as all for fuck's sake as the other ones. Yeah. It's competently written, and, but it annoyed me more because there's actually a decent idea in here. In that the, it does something that, and to be perfectly honest, it's something that most fan fiction authors have probably touched on at some point when they're trying to reconcile elements from the cartoon elements of the comic together is that yes at some point the Quintessons were in charge of Cybertron and they are propagating the myth that they created the Transformers which is a, which is I don't think it was a fudge I thought it was a nice idea yeah again some people think they did create them but the memories are hazy so they either did create the Transformers and then came back and subjugated it again or they created this as a story to keep the slaves in light and again uh, we can we can cite another book which touches on that a lot better. Uh, what's it called again? I think Eugenesis. I, I believe so. Yes. Uh, again, and um, also it's again continuing the Optimus Prime, Megatron, are the characters, and everyone else is around is just background fodder. Yeah, you get no sense. There, there, there is one nice scene which I did like actually, which is uh, generally the plot is they do the whole. Uh, Quintessons are revealed and they do the fake trial and the old boss Decepticons who of course have to team up to fight the common enemy really? oh for fuck's sake, sake. <laughs> uh, yeah if you've read Space Pirates in the comic you've also read a better version of this story um, but anyway there is a scene where they do the whole kind of riff of uh, there's a big pit that gets thrown into to be killed so the energy can be harvested to create a space bridge to send an invasion force to Cybertron which is a nice idea yes. also in the scene they just casually kill characters as in for briefly it becomes almost like the proper Transformers War you'll get named characters like Blaster famous people who just get just killed they're just thrown in a pit and they die that's it the end is very quick very brutal and the, what the, the only bit in the book where I went oh oh no one is safe oh that, that's interesting and I really like the idea of no the reason why they throw them in a pit is to get energy to basically open a bridge in space to annihilate the whole world that's a really good idea um I, I did like that. Um, Megatron, ha- Megatron has the odd decent line. Starscream had the, has the odd decent line. There are a few wee bits for their interaction did raise a semi-smirk yes. on my face. Um, it's also, uh, spoilers, that if you have the Sharpticon Megatron toy 
and you were disappointed that you didn't get to see that in any visual media, this is your chance. He is in this body for a story reason near the end, so at least he used the mould. Yep. But the problem is, it's all to do with the way the Quintessons get involved with the Matrix is they have an identical one that they can control and inter- interface with the Matrix, and that's how they've been stopping Optimus Prime knows some certain things. Again, a good idea, and adds to the fact that they've either they did create you, or they have at least at some point had quite a lot of knowledge about what the Transformers do. Again, an interesting idea. Again, also done better in Eugenesis, but let's not mention that. So Megatron does get that fabled Decepticon Matrix. Now, it's quite clear it's not the Decepticon Matrix, but he believes it is. Which, again, I liked, because those of us who've been around the Transformers fandom for a very long time will remember many, many, many bad fanfics about the Decepticon Matrix of Leadership. Oh, uh, it's Decepticon Matrix of Conquest. Oh, sorry, Decepticon Matrix of Conquest. And was that not... Was that, I'm sure that was in one of the Dreamwave-based novels. Yeah, I have hardwired Fusion yeah, Annihilation to reread, which I bought from Mr. Fudge Crumpet. Oh, for reasons I have yet to understand. <laughs> other than they were, were cheap and I haven't finished them yet. Were you drunk? No, that's the thing. So... No. so so what I'll say is, if you want to go read this book, if it's in the library, you'll read it for two or three hours, it's inoffensive, as it is the least worst Transformers book. It's not one where I would say go and spend your eight quid on it. Um, you're not missing anything if you pass it. I think I think if you do decide to pick it up and read it, you, you won't be as angry with your time and money as perhaps the other novels. What I will say just before we, we go on and leave from it is there is one th- one presentation tick which boiled my piss. It's the first line of every paragraph is in full caps. That does that as annoying. No, we don't need that. We can read it. We can tell it's a new paragraph because you put a nice big space in between the previous paragraph and this one. Indeed. The only other thing which is not this book's fault is this, uh, this actually has also been a bad thing. Because I don't know, I, I, can't remember, I, can't, I can't remember if we discussed it on the podcast or not, but we have discussed it ourselves. So let's just recap anyway, because we have it. As we all know, the Covenant of Primus Tat book yeah. exists, the expensive Covenant of Primus Tat book. Now, we all know the way cheaper version in due course, without the big case that comes in and turns into the Albert logo so I can hang it on the wall, which I've always wanted to do. Anyway, um, yes, and I've been tempted to buy it many a time. Many, many a time. Because I know it's awful. I know it's fucking awful. I've read excerpts from it. I've, I've, I've sneaked at the TF Wiki to see yeah. the, thir- the 13 times. Of. I know it's awful, but inevitably all Transformer stuff has to be read by me at some point. And the thing that was stopping me was I still had this novel to read. And Covenant Pirates will not be in the library because it comes with a big presentation case. Oh, aren't we going to be perilously close to an emporium that may sell said book in... No less than two weeks' time in Scotland. This is true. However, forbid- that would be Forbidden Planet Glasgow, but Forbidden Planet Edinburgh doesn't sell it. We could, you could be in danger. Oh dear. Hang on, hang on. I can't clap them. There we go. So, uh, that's Transformers Retribution. As Ralph says, it is the least worst. Inoffensive, but again, there's some ideas that would have been nice had there been a little bit more wit and imagination applied to them. Indeed, and it will fade from our memory very fast. Now, talking of retribution brings us on to our, our next exciting topic. Yes. You may recall the cliffhanger on the last episode. What was that cliffhanger, Andy? I don't think it was the last episode. I think it was the episode before. I forget, because we've recorded them in order. Yes. Ooh. Okay, what was that cliffhanger from two episodes ago? Uh, it was where uh, uh, I was true friended by someone that wasn't the silent member. Hello, Phil. 
Oh, and hello to Dick Rush. Yes. Yes. What is that? What am I touching? What am I touching? X-ray DVD. What DVD is it? The DVD would be Mamma Mia the movie. Mamma Mia the movie? You're looking forward to watching this. <coughs> no, I'm not. Now, before Andy complains and bitches about having to watch this, let's just put things in perspective. I'm going to suffer far more because I've already seen this movie before. But I'm going to man up. Secondly, part of the forfeit that Turbo had to pay for watching this is gone because he was told he's not allowed to drink alcohol during it, which additionally is a thing that we use to power through terrible events in our lives, i.e. bad films, bad TV shows. However, Mr. Turbo, not feeling too, too chipper today, a little bit unwell, which means he's not imbibing alcohol. I guess it's slightly unfair because now I don't have to watch him in torment, gasping for a drink and he's not allowed to have one. But, again, as I pointed out earlier, I am unwell, so therefore I will still be suffering. Again, this is the second time I've got to have to watch it. However, I do have some, uh, some cracking rum. Not, not, not a huge amount, not extensive. I'm not getting, you know, sell to four wins here. Just a little, little balm, just to soothe the pain. Because the first time I watched this, I watched it at Christmas. This is now uh, March. And uh, at least it was on a, on a television channel with Advert Breaks. So I had some respite every 15 minutes or so. Now, let's just read the back of the DVD before we experience Andy watching it. <coughs> Four stars, says the son. Digging, wasn't that the paper that ran uh, scandalous remarks about this virus in the Hillsborough disaster? Yes. So we can't take their word for anything. It's true. Also, it says, this year's must-have DVD by Jesse Miller of The Daily Mother. Fuck you, Jesse Miller. Fuck you. Against Daily Miller, and to specify which year. From the smash hit stage show comes this larger than life musical epic. Bringing you an all star cast, the songs of ABBA, and an extravaganza of dancing and laughter. Mamma Mia! Exclamation mark, the movie is the feel good film of the year. Bright to be Sophie, Amanda Seyfried, who by the way is the only one who can actually sing is on a quest to find her father before... That's a spoiler. You've ruined the film for me already. I'm just giving you some, some, some forewarning, okay? Is on, a qu- is on a quest to find her father before her big day. There is just one problem. Dot, dot, dot. She's just not sure who he is. After secretly reading her mother Donna's, Meryl Streep, you should know better, old diaries, she discovers he is one of the three past loves. What a dirty stop as she was. Knowing her mother would not approve, she invites them all. Realistic. Sophie desperately tries to keep their presence hidden, but it's not long before the secret is out and the fun begins. Dot, dot, dot. Your motion picture experience is 1 hour and 44 minutes long. Now, I'll just give you a little uh, feeling of my opinion on the film before we hear what Mr. Turbo's is. I enjoy the music of Ava. I am a heterosexual male and I enjoy the music of ABBA without any reservations. I've always enjoyed the music of ABBA. I also enjoyed Erasure did a few cover versions in the early 90s called ABBA-esque. That was a fun EP, let me tell you. I like their songs because they're fun, they're cheerful, they're bouncy. I have many a time in a student union. I dance like an idiot and I don't dance very well, so that's doubly bad. On a Friday night, I have pitched on cheesy night to ABBA songs. I love ABBA. Now, when I eventually saw this film, it did cause me some pain and discomfort because the ABBA songs are, well, horrifically sung, except by Amanda Seyfried, who's the one who's went on to actually work in musicals. She was in the film version of Les Mis later on, so she can actually sing. Uh, everyone else, however, cannot. And what was pounding me through was, it's got James Bond in it. I like Pierce Brosnan. I like James Bond. 
thought, I just need to see him when he sings. Is that a prayer me through? Is that a prayer me through? And there are also like, a scene at the end during the credits, which is quite astonishing. So, that's my opinion. I'm never about to enjoy it again. But at least this time I have some band to keep me going. I also have one spare donut. As do I. Indeed. Well, foolishly, I forgot to buy a chocolate bar at the shop. Oh well. Uh, this film contains my own language and sexual references. And uh, you can watch it in English or German, but we're going to watch it in English. So, I can confirm the DVD given to Turbo was uh, not opened. Not opened, and we're going to pause the recording, watch my own beer, and come back with our thoughts. Decided to put in there. 
So, we have embarked on a, an epic voyage of discovery. It's been my second viewing of Mamma Mia! Exclamation mark the movie and Andrew's first. So we've literally just switched off the DVD and we're going to get some impressions of this motion fiction experience. What Andy sees and gathers his thoughts. I, who am feeling quite fine because I have had some liquid refreshment during the film, uh, to which I'm fully entitled to because it's my second viewing of it. Now, the plot of Mamma Mia is uh, Meadow Street has been a dirty stopout in her younger years, when she had it off with various men, one of which was James Bond, one of which was Colin Firth, who will later star in The King's Speech. And the other one is Thor's scientist friend from the, the film. Stop, Stelic. Stop. Thank you very much. Um, so basically, her, her daughter, Amanda Seyfried, the only person on the island who is A, bra, and B, can sing, uh, is about to get married to Howard Stark, the father of Tony Stark, of Marvel Studios film fame. Yes. Uh, so basically, uh, she, she wants her father to see her down the aisle uh, well, she gets married to Howard Stark. So, but she's not sure. Is it Thor Santa's friend? Is it the King's Speech chap? Or is it James Bond? So she, so she invites all three of them to the island. Uh, Meryl Streep has her friends, Julie Walters and some American bin. Who, and perhaps the least erotic, least likely to give you a chubby scene in motion picture history, is the worst milf on film. Sings an exciting song on the beach at one point, where she tries to entice a young coloured gentleman from behind the bar to do the do the beast before back to her. Doesn't work well. But generally, the plot as it is, is really just about who is the father of uh, Meryl Streep's daughter. As the, as the plot heralds towards a climax, shall we say, after 140 odd minutes to, to finally reveal the answer. Much of the song is told, much of the, much of the film is told in the songs of ABBA. ABBA, that fabulous band, who gave us so many good pop-tastic hits, as you mentioned earlier. Um, so Meadow Sheep sings, Julie Walker sings, Piers Brodman sings, Forrest Wren sings. This sounds like it should be a recipe for, for joy. But is it? Is it fuck? Right. <laughs> this could get sweaty. And by could mean it is about to. So those with sensitive ears, fuck off now. Right. ABBA... Very cheesy tunes, but everybody enjoys them, despite what they say. Uh, these are the worst, most horribly neutered arrangements ever. It's... I'm sorry, whoever arranged these songs for a start, have you heard of a bass line? You are aware that pop music generally has a good bass to it because it gets people up to dance. These are the most tinny, reedy, pish arrangements. Now... The film itself has no fucking story, it just lurches on from a loose scene to scene and it's just a never-ending tableau of awfulness. It kicks off very early when Amanda Seyfried and her two friends come to this island. Right away one of them can't fucking act. Like, I mean, proper children's film theatre, film council film from the 70s. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, there were some classics in the children's oh, film. Oh, I'm not... I, I, I recall one in particular which frightened young Ralph. Hi, right. Which was to do not... It was this dude's, right? And he had a van. And I remember that he... <laughs> no, I don't know if you like that. The basic remember he had a van and he was a bit sort of... He had needs, shall we say. And, and he kidnapped... <laughs> anyway, we turned out he wasn't evil and he got buried under I remember he got buried under stone 
somewhere, and all the kids cried because they thought he was dead. And he went, Ooh! and he was alive. And he came out from under the ground. It was fantastic. But generally speaking, the children's film, the Asian films were bad. Dude. I thought acting was weapon babies. It was. As, as, as it hurts. So right away, my knuckles start to itch, and I should point out I'm not feeling very well. My head. I seen choked over whatever sort of temporary cold flu virus type thing doing the rounds. So my head started to get, well, worse. And it went on as the film goes on. So you then get the awful cavalcade of horribly arranged songs, Meryl Streep trying to dance erotically, which I, I don't believe that, I'll ever have a correction that, 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 that is true. There is a scene where Meryl Streep, she's supposed to writhe a lot erotically on, on the ground while singing a song to kind of get you, oh, oh, I, I'd like to have a bit of Meryl Streep. You but, can see, you can tell no. that she's an actress who's never been to any sort of drama school where they've encouraged sort of how, about choreography, how it works. Do you think you actually have a, a class in drama school about your life, erotically? No, but a, d- a dancer would be able to do that because they have a sense of rhythm and a sense of timing. Neither of these men... Uh, it's not her worst crime, though. Her worst crime is just me. She's <laughs> how you? awful. Yes, but, but if you like jump, we all will sometimes burst into song. You know? I do has washed my mummy now he feels no fear it has been a DVD of lack of joy he no longer feels like a boy he's looking so happy he is a fine chappy you can't see this right now coming to the end of the review and soon he'll shove up his nose some glue that was a song anyway so, and so, you know, you're like, it's, do burst into song like it's off. The story doesn't hang together. It's, and it's a case of it's all these actors that, what did they do to have to be in this film? Pierce Brosnan, you were a Bond. I think what caused, was causing the most pain for Pierce Brosnan, in addition to the singing, was this was 2008, so probably filmed 2007, or, or that year. Now, his last Bond film was 2002. Uh, so he is. He looks close enough in age. I mean, obviously he's a bit more lined in the face, a bit greyer, but he's a good-looking man for his age. But he still looks close enough to be when you was Bond. That basically you just go, "Why well, is Bond singing?" Yes, and we, well, in all fairness, he wasn't really singing because, uh, as I said during the film, he, he sounded as if he was Ringo Starr having a stroke while eating a donut, and I mean stroke in the illness sense, not having a ham shank. Now that, you, now that you invoke the Ringo Starr connection, uh, do you think that in a future version of Thomas Fankage and Pierce Brosnan could do the narration for Thomas Fankage like Ringo Starr? Possibly. Because as we all know, and I'm sorry to talk to people, the Beatles went up in pitch. You know, the, the, the Yellow Submarine album is good, but generally speaking, it's very overrated. But the reason why we all love Ringo Starr is because he's the least dick-like of the four Beatles, because to be honest, the rest of Arnold dicks. And, but well, he, but he is the best. Know. He is the best. No, no. Paul McCartney, right? Paul McCartney did two good things, right? He did. Live and let die. I think we can all agree on that. Yep. Not the Guns N' Roses version. That was okay, but the the Wings Paul McCartney version. He did the Frog song. Bum 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 So so, but otherwise he's he's a bit of a twat, right? John Lennon. The other one that no one ever really remembers, the Harrison chap, George Harrison, didn't really do any significance to me. Oh, right, you would have that now. I'm not. Uh, he was. He's no Vince Nicola. He's no Stan Bush. Hey, I've got my set of new top tune, great singer, and also helped finance some of the Monty Python films. So, but, uh, the Mon- but no, Monty Python's crap though. 
We've, we've discussed it before. Yeah. I, I, I feel... No, here's the thing, right? Monty Python is one of those things. As a child, everyone says, oh, Monty Python is drumming. And now, we remember at 30, so it's the air before we're going to watch TV. Monty Python, Monty Python. I remember about 1999. 1990, bloody space year 99, right? When the moon did not blow out of orbit. But BBC started their range of DVDs. And of the first six DVDs had the best of Monty Python. And Ralph went, ha, Monty Python, that's usually those shit films on TV. But maybe the TV show was gold. And I, I purchased for £19.99. Because that's what DVDs cost then, the best of Monty Python. And it was 90 when I was like, utter shit. It's balls, it licks fucking balls. Teddy Gilliam in particular is one of the worst film directors of our time. Of our time. He makes utter... Utter pish. I'm sorry, but don't listen to any of this pish about Monty Python being good. Individually, individually, the members of Monty Python, other than Terry Gilliam, have all done quality. Martin Feldman, and other people, the people who've made me laugh. But Michael Palin has made me laugh. And, and, is, and, and he also gave us, you know, the, 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 the travelogues around the world. Uh, really it was all good, but no, pish, fuck off, pish. Fucking shut your hole. I don't want to shut my hole. Shut your my hole was the open for yeah, that. Yeah, flap your fucking gums. Take your little arms up. Sorry, Fisher King still my favourite film of all time. Now, Fisher King has an exciting bit at the start where you go, oh, it's cute from Star Trek Next Generation. This will be good. Then he dies on a plane. That's it, the end of the film. Pish. No. No. Jeff Bridges is doing better films. And Voltron. Jeff Bridges not. Fisher King is fantastic. Twelve Monkeys is good. I remember seeing 12 Monkeys in the cinema. I remember seeing them. And we sat there and we just went, this is up his own arse balls. It looks pole. Burns, you're full of pish. You're full of pish. You are full of pish. Anyway, to get back onto the the slagging off of this thing, it's just a fucking awful film with really bad arrangements. Now, I don't really like musicals at the best of times. You don't like musicals. I know that you don't like them, but somewhere out there, someone called Ben, and he would like to sing a song, but not partake of a bong, because that is bad, and would make you feel sad. That was an anti-drug song for you. I'm trying to demonstrate, like in Mamma Mia, people will burst spontaneously in the song. Don't you hold up your keyboard and threaten to smash it, because that doesn't work on audio. No, I wasn't going to smash it, I was going to smash it off you, and it's not my keyboard, it's yours. It used to be your keyboard. It's true, it did. true. Back in the day. It's just really shite. It's just, it's, again, none of the cast apart from Amanda Seyfried can do anything that's even approaching singing. I'm going to make you say something. I'm going to make you say two things. Two things you thought you'd never say. First thing you're going to say is, because we discussed this while watching the film, previously you thought the worst thing you'd ever watched was Nativity for this podcast. Has that now been surpassed? It has. Does Nativity now have some semblance of entertainment for you? Comparatively. Comparatively, yes. Also, you said that this is destroy your love of Remington Steel. That's true. Pierce Brosnan, you, you were Remington Steel before you were Bond. That's what I remember you as. And it's a case of, no, there is everything you've ever done has been tainted. Tainted. Well, Colin Firth, not so much, because, to be honest, you're in equal amounts of muck as you are in anything worth That's it. That's true, but at least we know that after this he had the King's Speech to look forward to, which is a genuinely great film. It shouldn't be, 
because it's a bit wild it was talking about and it's a bit I do love my speech but it's a genuinely great film that is Man, would be gone as we said to be in the Les Mis and various other things she is actually quite a good singer good yeah. actress uh, Howard, Howard Stark of course it had to be Howard, Howard Stark, Stark. And, uh, and, and in the hour and, um, and various other things uh, and uh, as we speak is now the uh, star or co-star of Need for Speed the movie game adaptation that you never asked for. Oh, Michael Keaton's in it, so that was BS, yes, I know. Uh, but I feel it's going to derail the Michael Keaton reco- uh, renaissance that was started from Robocop. No, 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 because the sad thing is I do actually want to see, I want to use my, my Sydney World Cup to see Need for Speed purely because it has been Michael Keaton in it. Yeah. Because after many, many years of Michael Keaton being off the radar and being reminded by Robocop, the surprisingly watchable Robocop remake, it's like, no, he, he's actually quite good. I like him. Yeah. So, basically... Don't watch Mamma Mia. Ever. But it says here, hang on, it says here on the, the front of the DVD, which is very exciting because it has the cast converting in various positions. It says, uh, take a trip down the aisle you'll never forget, with no full stop at the end of that sentence. Do you think you'll ever forget this, Andy? I will sort of tune it out after a while. But here's the thing, John. Here's the thing. As I was trying to tell you, you know, I, I, I'm fortunate right now that I am serious long-term relationship, which means that I will be watching this particular motion picture these days, because chicks love Mamma Mia the movie. They, they, they fucking love it. I'll probably have to watch this. Sorry, I'll probably be um, enjoying watching this many times over the years. Many times over the years. But it's you, my chum, now having watched it, this will put you in good stead for the future. For future romantic encounter no. or encounters, this, whatever, this, whatever, this whatever, you a, whatever you meet, whatever you meet that last, because she'll love, she'll love you. I've seen it, love it. It's a deal breaker. <laughs> it will be. It will, I don't care. It's like, can we watch Mamma Mia? We can. However, when the film ends, this relationship ends, and the door that's there, you will go through that and never darken mine again. Fuck off. You see, I used to have that viewpoint, but I learned the resistance is futile, like the Borg. You weakened. Oh. You just, no, just think you of your crumble. future. You what? You've now seen this. You are now insured against the future because it means that at some future point, and it will happen. It will happen. It will be in television or Blu-ray or DVD or some kind of cinematic re-release. Your mind will be able to set free, set free on a sea somewhere out there. You can just sit. You can just you'll hear the hypnotone sound from Futurama. And you can just tune out for one hour and 44 minutes. And you'll be absolutely fine. Basically, every man, whether you're heterosexual, bisexual or homosexual, should watch Mamma Mia the movie. Because at some point your partner, whichever gender they may be, might want to watch Mamma Mia the movie. Because, let's not forget, at the time this was released in 2008, this was the highest selling DVD ever in Britain. That's right, the highest selling DVD ever in Britain. Also, at that point, the most successful film in the UK box office more people in Britain went to see this and bought this than went to see or bought The Dark Knight I fucking hate this country so moving on from hating this country and a cover segue hang on I need to climb to get all the kinder uh, abominations for your viewing listening pleasure there we go there we go well, G- well, Masterpiece G2 Sideswipe looks on with his look of utter disgust, which you can't see because it's audio. Andy has, has uh, procured some genuinely rare and hard to find UK artefacts. What have you got there, Chum? I have a couple of comics from the latter days of not so much Marvel UK as sort of the crossover period between Marvel UK and Panini. Indeed. From the Space Year 1996. Ah, good times. Specifically the uh, 
fortnight ending 9th of October 96 and the fortnight ending 20th of November 96. Speed course Marvel Action Hour. Marvel Action Hour? My goodness, that is obscure and short lived. Yes, uh, I was, I'd forgotten about this one and was alerted to it by Lou Stringer tweeting about it and about his blog post about That's it. Yeah, I, I completely forgot this existed as well. Basically, for those that don't remember, in the 90s, uh, Marvel had some cartoons. Your enjoyment may vary depending on. I am Iron Man! I am Iron Man! Uh, so it was one of them. Yes, along with Fantastic Four. And Hulk. Played uh, lastly featured Machine Hulk. Ah, the Marvel uh, action, I'm talking about Marvel action. I, 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 I do a lot of this. Yeah. Uh, so they, they packaged sort of the, Mar- the Fantastic Four and the Iron Man cartoons together as the Marvel action hour. Although in the UK, because of. Uh, we didn't have as many adverts. We also got the 1982 Hulk cartoon thrown in between. Which is the best Hulk cartoon in my particular opinion. Although I have not yet seen the fabled Hulk in the Agents of Smash show. Your opinion will not change. The, the internet... I, to us, every time I think of an 1982 Hulk cartoon, I think, that's one of the ones that I would actually watch again. Why don't I own the DVD? I don't know why I own it. I've owned the Hulk... I've owned DVDs of other Hulk yeah. things. But uh, that was my favourite. I do like... I would agree it is my favourite. Actually, just, I think I could just uh, slip yeah. into a personal anecdote here. Uh, young Ralph, as, as you may know, uh, when he was younger, he used to particularly enjoy recording himself uh, do various things because he loved the audio medium. This is that sound. I love Star Wars and Thundercats because I record the sound of the television because I didn't have VHS players at the time. And I remember finding a, a, a cassette tape which is sadly had been lost uh, during high school. But it did survive until at least the early 2000s. And it was young Ralph, about whatever age it was, four or five. And, and you can hear me going, Oh, I'm the Hulk, I'm the Hulk. But my voice isn't broken because I've just watched the Hulk cartoon. And I'm like, rrr, 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 like that. It's great. I love that show. Oh, it's no, a brilliant the, show. The Hulk The fantastic. People forget of a certain age it is that the Hulk was actually one of Marvel's marquee properties for a while with the, the cartoon and the live action show which was still airing about the same time in the UK and Hulk Weekly yeah exactly had quite a publication in the UK Hulk, Hulk was prominent and because I again I'll, I'll share a personal anecdote one of my I think I was about four maybe five I went to a Halloween call Halloween party as the Hulk good man covered in green food colouring to make my skin look now bear in mind I was a skinny wee <laughs> So, it's pretty much, I must have just looked like an escape from Chernobyl. <laughs> to apologise for any being offended by radiation. Uh, well, alternatively, you'd fallen through time and yeah. you were a homage to the Hulk Lego minifigure yeah. that was free yeah. on the Lego store about two years ago and brought us over £50, which was a normal size minifigure yeah. fit in your buck. There you go, yeah. I've saved it. Uh, no Chernobyl. So, so Hulk was, I had one of the Hulk annuals that we printed. I think it was... Wasn't like it was her trip that did the art that much, you know. But uh, Hulk versus Blastar on the cover. Yeah. No, but uh, it's true. Certainly, for us going up. If you're in your thirties, Hulk was uh, one of the main comic sort of things you would cover. Yeah. That's Spider-Man, I would say. Again, because they had the cartoon, the live action film, live action TV series, they got packaged in the films for us in the UK for Spider-Man. And also, we used to be shown on HTV pretty much yeah. in a loop. Yeah, so we kind of had that. So, flash forward to the nineties, as uh, DC were. Well, had Batman the animated series, which is still probably up there as one of the gold standards for TV animation in terms of superhero stuff. Marvel's output, Spider-Man works up until Secret Wars, which it pains me to say. 
Is that the 90s one? Yes. The thing with the 90s version is I can I can never watch that now or even hear about it before getting um, Chris McFeely. Yeah. Uh, plasma. Yeah. I must have plasma. Yeah. Uh, Which won't make any sense to some of you out there. Basically, somebody we know and he's on Twitter for Chris McFeely. And in the videos, uh, used to be the Fanboy Versions uh, podcast. Um, not long ago, I used to talk a lot about Morbius, Morbius the living vampire. Who, if you go back and watch it, and you can now get the 90s TV show uh, yeah. as a complete box set spinner for not a lot of money at all, and you also go, I went to plasma. Because you weren't allowed to talk about blood. Yes. It's a kid show. And so, Spider Man, uh, X Men, uh, no. Uh, so, yeah, then had Fantastic Four, and Hulk came out. Fantastic Four, Doctor for the first series, second series it improves. Yeah, and Iron Man, which was kind of a stealth force works, which was the replacement for Avengers West Coast. It wasn't very good. We also had at the time as Marvel did uh, comic adaptations of all their, their comic, their, their cartoon scenes at the time. Is the Spider Man one was a, they were straight adaptions of the, the episodes, unlike DC's Batman the animated uh, series comic, which was original stories set in that universe and was again like the cartoon it was based on infinitely superior however the X-Men comic did rank higher than most because uh, Transformers illustrator Andrew Wildman was the main artist for the first season so the first 15 issues plus the first couple of season 2 so we loved that uh, you had obviously Marvel Action already did Fantastic Four and the Iron Man book and that was adaptions of these episodes so when the cartoon starts to air in the UK and again this is in the latter stages of Marvel UK, is they combine both together in a strange comic called Marvel Action Hour. And it's fortnightly, it's full colour, and it's printed on sort of old school sort of newsprint style. It's not glossy, which was a little bit of a step back, because Marvel did generally have, even when Transformers was sort of the budget. What was this at the point at which you had things like Complete Spider-Man? Long after Complete Spider-Man was uh, Also, Was this also... Remember there was... Um, this was a... Remember we had the X-Men one that was A4. It was called... Um, this is after... This is after the first X-Men that Marvel did. This would yeah. be about the time of Amazing X-Men. That was what I think of Which did the, uh, the last Claremont Uncanny stories from sort of the Star Jammers to Professor X coming back to the New Island saga. And if you live in or near Edinburgh, for some reason... Uh, the amazing X-Men issues pop up in um, both of the Oxfam bookstores yeah. uh, quite regularly, if you're ever curious. So, so the Marvel Action Hour comic has Fantastic Four and Iron Man, but uh, it doesn't choose to use the adaptions of the episodes that the Marvel US comics were doing, but instead it's reprinting material from the 70s. And unlike Marvel's comics, it apes something from the sort of Fleetway DC Thompson comics of yesteryear in that... It's not really a proper cover with an original piece. It does have original art, however, it's actually an altered version of usually the splash page with a, to start the story. So the story starts from the cover because there's one advert in the comic and the rest is all comic pages. There's no letters pages, anything like that. Not bad for so 75 pence. 75 pence, and you had a fabulous free chew bar for the first one and a fantastic free gift on the fourth issue. Which I think was is the. There's some debate as to whether issue four was the last issue or not because yeah. it was a famously very short-lived uh, comic to the point where many Marvel UK affected handles are, are unaware this technically exists. 
I, all they ever saw issue one. I was unaware of this existing entirely until Lewis Ringer pointed As out. Was, I vaguely, when, when you pointed it out, I vaguely remembered seeing issue one because I loved the Fantastic Four. But as far as I was aware, it was one of those ones that only got one issue. But it was hard to tell. Like we've talked before about things like the Marvel Bumper comic, which, as far as I was aware, was one issue. I had a special. special. Because that's all I ever saw in my newsagents. Turns out it got into the 40s. Yeah, which was a surprise to me. But at that point, with a lot of the Marvel UK stuff, um, distribution did become a problem and it depended on where you were. Even things like uh, Doctor Who magazine uh, was something that I was only ever able to read intermittently. It didn't get full newsstand distribution in the Glasgow area until 1996. Believe it or not. Yes, which is bizarre, but it's one of these things. So, you have an altered version of, and I read on Spash page with, I think it's, uh, tell me now, if I look at the credits, it's John Rusby and uh, Bambos Giorgio yeah. uh, do the art with Alan Craddock doing the colouring. It's quite a nice job, actually. Yeah, it, the, the only problem with it is, it's nice art, but it's a splash page, then you go to the next page and it's more classic uh, John Buscema and Joe Sinnott doing the artwork. Yeah. And it's not a patch on it, which isn't a slam on the artist because, let's be honest, there's not really many that you could say. Yeah, because all the other minutes, it's actually quite a decent piece of artwork. It's it works, it's almost like a cover image, but because it is the credit page, so it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an adaption of uh, an issue where a silent Iron Man comes in and starts leathering Seven Dells out of Fantastic Four. As he do. Perhaps he too is the memory of the movie. And then Late it's... Uh, Fantastic Four thing. Yeah, but this is classic 70s uh, Iron Man with his moustache and a goatee. Good times. Uh, turns out that it's not actually Iron Man, it's a robot that's been created by Quasimodo. I love Quasimodo. I like about Quasimodo. Uh, and it basically ends with uh, Quasimodo escaping into space, looking for some signals that have been sending to him. Uh, you get a random advert. Then there's a, an issue of, or part of an issue, because the Fantastic Four gets the bulk of the story, as in it's a complete issue. Yep. Then you get a segment of The Invincible Iron Man. It's with noted Iron Man scribe, David McElhaney, who was there. However, plot and pencils by a former friend for the podcast, Alan Kupperberg. Who you may remember has done Transformers issues 5 and 6. And, and also, we know there was at least one invented issue for Transformers, and he did that work for it. was an Omega Supreme, the, dreaming he was going to be human. And there's also the big broadcast in 2006 yeah. adaption. And, well, it's Iron Man, it's, he's doing testing his armour, there's growing, glowing green rocks. Oh, look, it's Kryptonite, it's not really. Again, in context, we're now used to things like uh, the Marvel Essentials and uh, the Marvel Epic Collection and various stuff. Uh, but at the time of when you, if you want to sip this type of vintage Marvel stuff, you back good issue bins, back issue bins. or the higher end Marvel Masterworks, yeah, which were uh, out of the budget of uh, most people at that time, and indeed still are, <laughs> yeah, uh, in the stage age. Again, it's easy to see why it didn't catch on. I mean, the reasons why I can see it didn't catch on <laughs> is. As much as, from our perspective, we go, that's a nice first page, it's quite cluttered for the era. Secondly, calling it our action hour when it's a comic is not a good idea. And uh, it doesn't have the glossy pages. Or, as I said, we're used to things like Complete Spider-Man at this point, where you've got 100 pages. Or X-Watch Spider-Man. Yeah, and you've got a nice package, whereas this felt like quite a step backwards, really. It feels, in some ways, too much of a homage to... Marvel UK comics of the 70s and early 80s. And soon enough we'd have the collector's editions coming out anyway. Exactly. Which 
seem to have worked as they've been going for more than a decade. I have been on, on again, off again reader of them since they started because uh, every now and then I just go, I want to read a big block of this stuff. It's a nice, cheap way to read it. Yep. Basically, well presented, well put together. There's a reason why that stuff still continues, even in this day of uh, digital comics and trades and so on. They, they, still, they still do their job. Don't so, it's one of those kind of curiosities where um, I can see why it tanked. I think it's just bad timing. Yes, again, it's, this is in the where, again, this is just before supermarkets become the stranglehold and basically dictate we need cover mounts, we need price points. Yeah, I mean, if I had a cover date of uh, 1986 as opposed to 96, it yeah. might have did okay. I don't think it would have lasted quite as long because at that point there was a big push towards glossier pages, but with the full colour and printing this stuff, which was previously half black and white, half colour, it might have done quite well because yeah. it was around about the time that, uh, well, the Marvel UK title switched over to full colour, which, I'm sorry to sound old, was incredibly fucking exciting at the time. Uh, especially as with Marvel UK originated material is up until 87 yeah. it was fully painted yes. which is one of these things where it's like no we actually got a better painting yeah. basically Marvel UK's comics were better presented in 2008 yeah which is a com- when you think about the quality of, of creators and some of the, the work that was going on at the time Halo Jones yeah. Nemesis was in full flight there Wagner and Grant on Dread and Strong and Dog exactly I mean I think the other reason why this might have failed as well is that this is still during the era and again the US listeners might not realise there's been a long tradition in UK comics that part of what gives a comic a bit of a personality is an editorial page yeah. usually on page 2 yeah. uh, which is basically here's a wee blurb about what the comic's about who's in it you get a wee feel for it and then as the comic goes on you get a letters page as well this doesn't have that. It literally is just comic strips back to back. So it kind of fails in that uh, respect as well. Um, I think the other the other thing, and the, the biggest problem with it is, we'd already had at this point an ongoing X-Men title that had done sort of the Jim Lee stuff, again, alongside the Andy Wildman X-Men stuff. So we'd had yeah. a UK newsstand up-to-date Marvel stuff. And again, Overkill had finished by this point as well. And gone. We, but, we also had, to this day, was in a particularly good period at this point. The magazine was going really, was was maybe past, by 96 it was maybe no, past the initial excitement. No, 96 it was it coming was, back, if, if yeah. memory serves me, we're, at, we're back, Wagner's back. Yeah. Uh, because it, it's before the pits, it's before John Wagner comes back to Dread but, in But even going back in passing, because I can remember when the September's came out, I was still a very heavy 2008 yeah. magazine reader and was a student as well, so I had a limited budget. And stuff like this would really not have... It's also dated. It's the yeah, choice, the choice but, of... Yeah, you can read the magazine at a really good period of the time where you can read this. It's picking 70s era Fantastic Four and 70s Iron Man. And... Much as I love John Buscema's artwork, and it's still fantastic, still holds up, the story's done. Yeah. So we mentioned this as, it's not got pure material in it, it's just, it's, it's written as a, an obscurity of Marvel UK that you might not have heard of. Certain comics you can are of their time, and a lot of Marvel 70s output is of its time and does not hold up now. I think a lot of that stuff is best read at the Black and White Essential format. Get a chunk of it and you can dip in and out as you yeah, want. Pay a tenner, read it once or twice, move it on. 
there's you'll enjoy it in that context I think yeah again being a big fan of Marvel and certainly a lot of their 70s output is very strong we have championed on a long time on this podcast off and on about Cosmic Gym and Adam Warlock stuff Actually, this may be a good point to mention then uh, on the subject is that 2070s Marvel, the uh, Jim Starlin Warlock stuff, for yeah. many, many years, the only way you could get it was a very expensive volume to Masterworks, which I only managed to get because uh, when I left the job, somebody would give us a bit of cash and I was able to afford it when I bought it. Um, but it has now been reissued as a trade paperback, yeah. uh, Jim Starlin's Warlock, and I highly, highly recommend you track it down. And by purchasing it, uh, I don't know if it's available digitally. But yeah, it's still digital. Yeah, uh, or if you, again, it's for them, if your library gets it in, um, get it. Alternatively, some of that stuff is available as a black and white essential volume. No, it is. It sadly does mean you have to wade through the pre Jim Starlin Warlock stuff. Skip the Jim Starlin stuff. Read no, the Jim Starlin stuff. Skip the Roy Thomas stuff. Skip the Roy Thomas stuff. Oh, God. Sorry. Skip yeah. Skip the non-Starlin stuff, read that, and then if you want to, go and read the Roy Thomas stuff because as an interesting thing. It's one of, it's, Warlock is one of these strange examples of a character really coming to the as someone other than their main creator. Because Stan and Jack created him as a throwaway character in Fantastic Four, yep. then cropped up in a couple of issues of Thor, yep. and then... That's Roy it. Thomas resurrected him. Yeah, because again, for a long time, the only way you could get this stuff... Um, was volume one of the masterworks, which again I purchased with the same money I got, believe in a job. Read it, thought, but I'm glad I've had a chance to read it. It's not very really good. Pass it on to you. Yeah. Um, as a freebie, and yeah, yeah, I think in, in the context of a black and white essential, uh, I think you might, I don't know if it appreciates the word, but I don't think you'll mind it as, as much yeah. as if you paid 40 quid for the hardcover. Um, but generally, the, the style of stuff is good. And um, the thing is, with um, Guardians Galaxy movie coming out later this year. I've no idea if Thanos is in it, but Thanos at some point is going to be in a Marvel film, whether it's Avengers or Guardians of the Galaxy, because they're clearly moving up to that. Jim Starlin himself has a OGM Thanos story coming out later this year. He's also doing a story with uh, Ron Lim. Ron Lim on artwork. So, and a lot of his back catalogue stuff is now filmed and finally coming out or has been put back into print with nice affordable trade paperbacks. Yep. Um, so basically... Go and try it because it's very, very good. Yes. So after after the agony of Mamma Mia, this is a nice positive bit to yeah. all I would just say just one thing I do want to mention before we finished, and again I kinda of mentioned it obliquely earlier with the Fanboy Versus uh, podcast, is um, some of you who might listen to this and enjoy the show, uh, can I just make you aware one of the shows I like to listen to is called Radio Free Cybertron, uh, spells uh, Fanboy Versus. And uh, a chap who used to um, contribute very heavily to that show. So that's another show you might have heard of called Superhero Time, if you to think that Power Rangers and like, was a chap called uh, J.D. Church. Now, I never knew this man personally. I had no personal interaction with him. I just knew him as a chap who uh, spoke on podcasts like this. I particularly enjoyed podcasts like this. Unfortunately, about a month ago, um, this gentleman went into hospital and he passed away. Now, he was kind of the same ages as the likes of us and he's an American citizen and if you don't know the healthcare system in America you have to purchase health insurance uh, unfortunately this gentleman did not have health insurance and he passed away and there's a debt of about uh, $10,000 which his, his wife uh, Amanda um, is unfortunately having to pay off because of the way these things work so 
the people at uh, Radio Free Cybertron are trying a fundraising campaign just now uh, for people to chip in money to basically help his widow pay with the costs. Uh, I'm just mentioning this as an aside because some of you uh, who listen to this kind of thing may have listened to those shows, you may be behind with your shows, you may not know. There's an ongoing effort. If you can only manage a dollar or two, that's absolutely fine. Again, this is just information. I don't know the Radio Free Cybertron people personally. All I say is, if you want to check it out, make sure it's legitimate or check. If you go have a look at uh, tfradio.net, uh, you'll see a page there about the fundraising, fundraising effort to help his widow. And if you do have a spare dollar or two, um, if you enjoy this show, basically, I would say chuck it in. Because I did very much enjoy the gentleman's contributions to Radio Free Cybertron and Fanboy versus the, the comics podcast. So if you can spare a dollar or two, it's very quick and easy. You just ping it in. There's an option to basically pay the tax on it. And then it's a little bit to help someone out. So sorry to be serious for a second, but I did just want to, to mention it. I have an issue. Yeah, right there. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, just unusually serious. But no, I, I'm with Ralph. I may just chuck a couple of quid in. Let's face it, those of us who listen to this podcast throw our money away on useless crap on a almost daily basis. Did, for instance, earlier in the show, Unturnable threw away £8 of his, of his nonsense on Transformers Retribution, the least worst Transformer novel of all. Yes, and then bought back comics he's owned. In Oxfam prior to recording the podcast. That's right, on a hilarious um, incident on this very day, which mirrors uh, a previous incident. Now, um, I, being a collector of stuff, uh, I enjoy comics, DVDs, Transformers, and so on. Uh, not being someone who is in a fortunate position to own a property or to be able to rent out a property for extra rooms, if you're a collector, eventually what happens is you store a lot of stuff and you just can't keep it all because otherwise you're chipping over piles. So I generally will have a big clear out roughly twice a year and I'll generally give some things uh, to either Toy Food, uh, which I mentioned before, raising money for Mary's Meals, or I might sell stuff to Toy Food at a low rate so they can be made to make money on it. But also what I like to do is uh, my charity of choice is Oxfam. I very much believe in the Oxfam and the work they do. So generally stuff that I've enjoyed, I like to give to Oxfam. What's quite amusing, however, is that there are certain things that we are fated to buy, rebuy over and over. And these include uh, Transformers comics that are perhaps not the, the, the alpha of Transformers comics. So a few weeks ago, I, for instance, donated Reaching the Omega Point, that, that fabulous convention comic, and then Andy had to go and buy it. I would like to that. point out is, who bought you? That copy of Reaching the Yeah, that's what I guess. Right. Previously, I had a copy of uh, Reaching the Mega Point, a uh, very bad uh, Transformers convention comic. Lost it. Reacquired it from Turnbull. Read it. Had it for a few years. Had me clear out. Sent it to Oxfam. Then Andy bought the copy back. Uh, the circle is complete. So what did you get today? Today I got the Bogon 2002 comic book special End of the Records Part 2 Betrayal. Oh. It's... It's just because I've got them and there's a sense of completism, it's balls. And they'll get sold again. And then I'll buy it again. And I picked up uh, first three issues, or I should actually say the only three issues of uh, Transformers War Within the Age of Wrath, which was was released during Transformers 20th anniversary. That makes me feel really old, (laughs) because we're now in Transformers 30th anniversary. For the, 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 their comics that I uh, previously acquired, uh, there's been an effort in Edinburgh recently, in the last uh, year, to basically start basically a bit more of a comics uh, scene. 
and coming marching because it's something that the capital of Scotland has lacked. So they did two events last year. The second event from the Oxfam stall bought these three comics. It's now the third time I've owned them. I enjoyed them. I decided just to keep the scripts I got from Furman at a previous convention. Put them into Oxfam. Turbo bought them back today. But I can't laugh because I don't buy them again. It's true. And... Again, this will set me tracking down records issue three and the various other bits and bobs. But I, I do have a the reason I also want that is I quite fancy a hand at trying to adapt issue four of uh, Age of Wrath, perhaps for ScottCon twenty fifteen. Indeed, after you finish, have a time and place. Yes, I have to finish that because otherwise. Uh, so, actually, if anyone's listening to this and is thinking, "Oh, I like the idea of a, a nicely printed version of Another Time and Place," and I'm not going to ScottCon. How would they perhaps go about contacting uh, to get a copy? Uh, well, I do plan on having some copies available uh, after ScottCon because, well, to be perfectly honest, it's, I wanted a freebie for everyone there, so there won't be a slight cost. won't be making money into it because it's not my work. I'm adapting it from the pros from the Furminator. There is a free version you can look at on the website. It's still up there. I'm not changing it. All I will say is the printed version has a really nice, shiny cover. Uh, it also has... I've tweaked the lettering slightly so it does look a little bit better. Uh, I haven't redrawn the artwork, otherwise I would never finish because you would just redraw and redraw until it was brilliant or uh, not as shit as you think it is the minute you complete the page which is kind of why I look, just to clarify, and I'm sure it's not this name but anyone who's listening who likes to draw or do anything creatively when you're working on it it's absolutely the bee's knees, it's the best thing you've ever done and the minute you drop that pen or finish typing away at your keyboard and stop it's awful, all you can see is what's wrong but I think that keeps you on your toes. It's always a good mindset to have. So there'll be some copies available, uh, which I will have a link on the Stargirl website for you to purchase and go through. If you don't fancy that, uh, I will, of course, be taking copies with me to Auto Assembly and whatever other TMUK uh, gatherings throughout the year I'll be at. And so if you, if you don't want to pay postage, you can basically just wait and say, I'd like a copy, and I'll sort you out. Also, it's one of those things you can legitimately ask Furman to sign because it is his prose. It's one of you, I'm looking yeah. forward to just giving it and going, technically this is yours, but I, I, I made it. I did point out to you, it's the one fanzine that you can give Furman and say, please sign this fanzine or done because it's all your words. Yes. I'm not making any money off it. Yep. So, I'm the first in line. Honey, I'm still free. Will you take a chance on me? No. I believe that's a good place to end. Yes, uh, we'll be back uh, in a couple of weeks or so. Where can we find you on the internet? Uh, well, depend, depending on what I do after this to get back at you and your, your wife for this, you may find me in the bar L. <laughs> this, uh, but normally you can catch me on Twitter at Andrew D. Dumbo, also on the TMUK forums at tmukhub.proboards.com and fullmetalhero.com I'm on Facebook as well uh, startup website as well feel free to leave a comment on the podcast pages indeed you can find me on Twitter at star underscore dub it is a protected account because I'm a superstar uh, but generally if you just uh, send a follower request I will check it and I will approve you and then we can have a chat alternatively you can find me on the Transmasters UK TMUK Transformers fan forum, just type Team UK or Transmasters UK forum into Google, you will find me where I am known as the Doctor. Uh, or you could just go to the link I just mentioned earlier, which was TMUKHub.com. Yeah, but I, I, I thought it was more exciting to try and encourage a spirit of adventure and, and use Google typing in. See, I'm still in the generation we found stuff by just typing shit in, none of this fucking address type push. I remember AskJeeves.com. 
I remember searching this before Google. So do I. Webcrawler, I'll to Vista. Webcrawler, hard. Oh, <laughs> looks so yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, so we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Don't, we won't know what we're going to be def- uh, covering. Uh, it'll be probably after Scott comes, so I don't know. We might do a little live one there, depending on that. So again, 29th of March. Uh, hit us up if you want. If you're going and just a little bit unsure about the strange people you might have to meet and what's involved. Uh, again, come along. It's a good laugh. Uh, all are welcome. Well, almost all. Almost all. Either that will leave you. Goodbye. Farewell. Go away. Turn them off now. We didn't even tell them what we were doing our super, super new record. We did. This is what we call the post-credit sequence. That was technology confusing to me. <laughs>